VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? You know, I like to say that, you know, it took Homo sapiens about 200,000 years, 150,000 years to go around planet Earth. You know, like we're on the edge of our next big journey. Where will we be in another 200,000 years? I hope across the galaxy. You know, and literally we are about as basic right now when it comes to spaceflight as we were trudging around the sub-Saharan desert. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. I am your host, Danny Fortson, and this is your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, we come to you direct from the Mojave Desert and the headquarters of Virgin Galactic, which is Sir Richard Branson's space tourism company, and it is getting closer and closer to their maiden flight, where in theory, Sir Richard and five other paying passengers, each of whom will have put down between $200,000-$250,000, to be fired into orbit for a few minutes of weightlessness. And steering the ship, so to speak, toward that momentous day is George Whitesides. And he is a former NASA executive who is this week's guest. And it is a fascinating conversation. Now, we actually recorded this last year, and since then, much has happened. Uh, so Virgin has moved a bunch of its people to this new spaceport in New Mexico as things get closer to kind of the launch of commercial operations. And then a few months ago, Virgin Galactic merged with an investment vehicle that is controlled by Chamath Palihapitiya, who is a Facebook billionaire. He's also now a an owner of the Golden State Warriors. He's a venture capitalist, and he pumped in a bunch of money to keep the party going. And yeah, it all looks set fair to actually make this space dream a reality. And it has been a long time coming. So Branson founded Galactic 16 years ago, and he predicted that the first flight would happen in 2011. So nine years billions of dollars of expense, a tragic accident that killed one of their test pilots, not a single penny in profit, and they're still going, and theoretically, they are almost there. So what, you may be thinking, is the point of all of this anyway? So we are about to find out, and George is, a, is very eloquent on all of these points, so I will stop talking and give you now... George Whitesides, the chief executive of Virgin Galactic. Enjoy. Yeah, 
you know, the headline is basically that we're living in a time when these four amazingly successful entrepreneurs, Richard, Jeff, Elon, and Paul Allen before his passing, have decided to, you know, spend a significant portion of their net worth on expanding humanity's presence into space, you know, in different ways, right? And everybody's sort of got their own angle on it. I'm really excited about the one that we're working on, but they're all great. And we live in a time when technologically, because of sort of, you know, vertical integration, relatively small teams can carry out really big projects, you know? And so, you know, we've built a highly reusable spaceship. Elon's built these amazing Falcon rockets and Jeff's building rockets and lunar landers and you know and paul has created you know spaceship one and and now strata launch and you know all of them are sort of different approaches but um, and those are all relative to say how many people were got us to the moon it's been estimated that about four hundred thousand people worked on the apollo program you know we have less than a thousand i think jeff has a couple thousand elon has elon and gwen really i should say you know have six or six thousand or something and so you know they're non-trivial sized but they're also not four hundred thousand people the opportunity that we have right now is is to you know as a species is to is to take advantage of this amazing interest and generosity and commitment and initiative on the part of these amazing entrepreneurs to you know innovate you know and and that's the other interesting thing is you know nasa was created and created a system to accomplish this like major national single goal. And, and it, as a system, it works really well with a big meaty goal. Put you know, the man on the moon. Whatever. Yeah. You know, something. Yeah. Like a big thing and all the th- centers integrate towards that, that goal. And the brave thing that NASA has done over the last 10 years, 10 years plus really, 15 years, is to lead the way on a federal government level um, to say we're open to other people participating in this vision, you know, because back then it sort of all flowed up through the pyramid, mm-hmm. but now you've got like these people coming in on the side of the pyramid and, you know, and bringing new capabilities. And I am absolutely most hopeful this time in terms of our exploration endeavors because of that openness to right. taking advantage of these things on the outside. Cause I think that's crucial, right? NASA doesn't actually have the money to do it all by itself, right? Nor does it want to. So it's really taken a visionary approach and it's paying off, right? I mean, you know, like that openness, you know, has been a catalyst for, I think for Elon and I think for Jeff. In 2000, the US essentially had no international commercial launch share. And now- What was it, Russia mainly? Yeah, it was Russia or, or the Europeans actually. Right. Both. Right. And now I think we're over 50%, you know? And that's innovation, right? I mean, that's, that's just the market. Like, we're fielding great products, you know, and, and that's even going to get better, you know, when Jeff fields the system. We, we've got, you know, we're going to have, I think, with Spaceship 2 and Unity, maybe others, you know, we'll have uh, 100% of the market share for flying people to space on suborbital journeys, you know, for some period of time. Yeah. So the U.S. is really doing a great job right now in terms of innovation in space, and that's something that we can be, uh, be proud of. What's well, really interesting also just talking about those four people, three of them are from the tech industry. Yeah. And obviously your boss is the outlier, but it is interesting that so much of this is being driven by people who have 
in Richard Falls in this camp, I guess, has gone into industries and just been like, I'm just going to do this all different. This way doesn't work. I'm going to do something that makes no sense and somehow make sense of it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, they're all innovators. Richard has made a career out of reinvigorating industries that could use some shaking up. That's what he's done with space. I mean, I give Richard a huge amount of credit for what he's done by putting you know, himself and his brand and you know, all that behind the basic idea that space is a really exciting area to get involved in. Credit where it's due, you know, Paul gets credit and Dennis Tito gets credit and Elon's gets credit. But I mean, Richard really, I think, helped shift the overall view of, of space to the point where now, I mean, it's a hotbed of innovation, right? You know, and there's this long tail of small sat companies out there yeah. that are building any conceivable thing that you can imagine in a 6U CubeSat, somebody's working on it out there on the planet. What an amazing time, right? And I, th- I really think that Richard's sort of, he's so bold, you know, he's like, this is going to be amazing. Let's do it and we'll figure out all the details as we go through it. But I, I do give him a lot of credit for changing that view of space. You know, the way you started out your question was like a moon hotel, which is a beautiful idea, right? You basically just have a cycler that's going around the earth and there's certain cycling orbits. Buzz Aldrin is actually a pioneer of this that sort of go around the earth and then go around the moon and sort of cycle. And if you do it right, it's a low energy cycling orbit. And all you need to do is send something up and you like have to dock with it, you know, so you have to catch it. What an amazing thing. And the really cool thing is that with the, the moon, there's no atmosphere. There's very little atmosphere. And so you could get very low perigees around the moon side, right? So you're skimming along at 25,000 miles an hour, you know, like 100 kilometers off the floor or 50 kilometers off the floor or less, you know? I mean, you just have to sort of get it right because you don't want to yeah. zero kilometers off the floor at any particular point. <laughs> but I mean, how amazing would that be to just sort of swoop in, you know, faster than you've ever been and, and just sort of skim across? I mean, but there are other orbits, and I don't actually know if there's a valid cycler orbit that that's lo- that is that low. Probably not. You probably have to go higher. But um, you know, really amazing stuff. Totally doable. You know, it's wonderful because it sort of inspires the imagination about what's possible. Philosophically, do do you see what you're doing here as a kind of a a step on the continuum towards something like that? In the sense of people paying money to go to space, yes. Right. So we are sort of solidifying and proving the market for people. And like this will be one step, you know, another step is going on a moon journey. And that's like four steps down the road, you know, and then there's intermediate steps in between there. You know, I think we will be the first step of an authentic space journey that is relatively affordable. An amazing step. Right. And it's super exciting because it entails we have this phrase democratization or popularization, you know, like something that's not just for four people on the planet or six people ever yeah something that you know truly thousands of people could pay for an experience you know tens of thousands eventually hundreds of thousands and you know some of our midterm plans involve you know high speed point to point which could involve millions easily tens of millions of people down the road i see our sort of market future to entail all of these future human experiences and our technology roadmap stretches towards point to point, which I think is this huge market. I mean, you know, if you could get somewhere five times faster than an airplane currently takes you and it was affordable or, you know, yeah. safe, I mean, you'd probably do it. It would change the planet. You know, if you could actually go to Japan and back in a day, 
uh, bring us together. I like to say it's almost the equivalent of like the Star Trek teleporter. You know, it's pretty close to that, right? If you can get on yeah. a plane and get to anywhere on the planet within an hour or two. Is know? that the idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because like if we're closest to LA right now, yeah, to get to London, yeah, would be. 12, 10 hours, something like that. So, you know, if you did it at, with a hypersonic vehicle, you get there in two. Fundamentally, I mean, I spend two hours in LA traffic sometimes, you know. And yeah. Imagine you could just get to Tokyo or get to London or right. get to Abu Dhabi. And can you talk about your, um, the astronauts a bit, your prospective astronauts? Our future astronauts. Yes. Yeah, they're an amazing group. I mean, as you may know, I'm one of them, right? So my wife and I bought tickets in uh, before you were here. Yeah, yeah. So we were customers first, <clears throat> substantially before, like several years. So it's a classic thing. I like the, I like this thing so much. You know, yeah. I like I was yeah, a customer but we were in Boston, right? So Gillette. <laughs> um, but it's true. I mean, I that's sort of how I, in a way, got the job is because I knew them because I was a, a customer, you know, and I was in the space community. And, so what number are you in the queue? Well, I'm in the found, my wife and I are in the founder group, which is the first hundred. And we haven't assigned manifest numbers for those people because we sort of told them that we would essentially randomly assign it yeah. in the early days. But they would be within that. There, I mean, obviously, we have 600. So there's like a lot of different kinds of people. You can't generalize too much. But I mean, they are generally successful people who have a twinkle in their eye that say, yes, I want to be among the first to go on commercial human spaceflight. You know, so they have a sort of an openness to new ideas and openness to new experiences that, you know, not everybody has. And so what it makes for is just a wonderfully great group. And, we're, you know, we like to think in a small way, we're sort of helping them to achieve a dream, maybe not their only dream, but for some of them, their biggest dream. Can you talk about the why? Why do any of this? There are a few reasons. It's most core, the reason that I think it's important is that we as a species need to come to grips with the idea that we are living on a spaceship. And it is the best spaceship that's ever been built. It has autonomously supported life for three to four billion years and a wide variety of life, you know. And it just so happens that at this particular moment in our species development, we're able to essentially mess with the controls of our spaceship. That fundamental truth, I think, is arguably the core design issue of our next thousand years, you know? Climate change. I would say interacting with our home spaceship. And climate is a big part of it, but there's other issues like, you know, how many plants do we want to have? How many animals do we want to have? You know, what other kinds of life do we want to support? You know, we're just at the dawn of the idea of sort of planetary design, you know? Where, where Planetary we're, design. Yeah. Where we have to come to grips that we are all going to become planetary designers, you know? And we're just starting to have that realization now as a species. And I think that, not to get too woo-woo on you, but I no, think please, that Galactic go woo-woo. Yeah. Uh, will contribute to understanding that and communicating that right because we're going to be sending up hundreds and eventually thousands of people who will have the the essence of they're going to leave the spaceship for a few minutes and when they come back they're going to be you know celebrities in their home communities and they're going to be able to share that experience and what it means and i think that that sharing of that you know sacred experience of leaving our home planet our home spaceship 
could help us shift into a perspective that is like crucially needed for our future, you know, to understand that, that we are all planetary designers, basically. So that's the most important thing, I think, you know, I think it'll also bring the world together. I think it'll be a fantastic business. I think it's super fun. I think it's going to just fulfill the dreams of millions of people. And I think that, you know, broadly speaking, the exploration of space is one of the most amazing things that humans can be a part of, right? I mean, there's a whole universe out there and we're on this like one rock, you know, we're playing a small piece in, yeah. in that millennial long expansion too. Well, there's um, the first photo ever published of Earth from space was one of the kind of really founding moments of kind of the environmental movement. Absolutely. For whatever reason, there's something about that just being able to see where we are from somewhere else. Absolutely. But you think we're at another, quote-unquote, democratizing space could be another kind of moment? I do. I really do. Because people are going to go from a moment when very few people know an astronaut. I mean, you probably do. I don't. I do, because I'm a space nerd. Well, actually, I do now, yeah, because I've been you just here. just met one. Yeah, I met three. You met three? Yeah, they're just walking around here. Yeah, exactly. They're everywhere. Dime a dozen. But then we're going to go to a moment where everybody knows an astronaut. Everybody can hear firsthand that experience, you know, which some people have dubbed the overview effect or, you know, whatever, that experience of going into space, leaving the planet, looking at our home world, and, you know, the, the impact that that's had on a personal level. So, I mean, I think it's pretty important, pretty important what we're doing because that is the core thing that uh, we have to grapple with over the next thousand years. And you talk about this idea of democratizing space, but obviously 200, whatever, what's the cost now to 200 to 250-ish? You know, we're not selling actively right now, but we have sold tickets, recent, you know, in the past for 250. That's obviously not democratic in terms of those who can reach it. But is the idea over the long term to get it down to, it's like Virgin Galactic sale, get, you know, next 24 hours you get an email blast and it's like a thousand bucks or something. Yeah, no question, right? I mean, so all of these technologies, when they first came out, you know, have a fairly high price point. Like crossing the Atlantic in an airplane was, you know, real dollars, depending on how you slice it, you know, 100K, $100,000, you know, maybe more depending on certain experiences. Yeah, it's expensive now. But keep in mind, it's in comparison to like going to space with the Russians, that's 300 times more expensive how much does it cost to go on NASA is getting charged around $70 million per seat to go to the International Space Station. Now, it's a different experience and all that. Yeah. But, but like still, like that's the only other way yeah. of going is to pay 300 times more. So we are literally dropping the price of getting a taste of space by a factor of 100. And that is demo- democratization. I mean, that's, that's expanding the ability of by a hundredfold the number of people who can who can experience it. And then how exciting will it be when that price comes down? And I don't know when that'll happen, but someday that price will come down further, you know, and maybe another order of magnitude. You know, these things take time. You have to start by creating a successful business and then, you know, over time, uh, the market takes over. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What are you most worried about? Because it seems to me it's like anything, especially anything new. The safety, accidents kind of stop everything in its tracks. Obviously, you guys had tragedy five years ago. Something like that happens again, whether, and God forbid, it, it happens at all, but whether it's here, Blue Origin, SpaceX, whatever, if and when something like that happens again, it feels like, you know, all the wheels stop again, and then people reassess, as they did last time, what are we doing here? Is this worth it? Yeah. I mean, we think about that stuff all the time. I, you know, I truly believe that we have, I think, the safest spacecraft that's ever been built. Air launch, I think, is a crucial factor. I think we've chosen a very simple rocket motor. I think the feather is, is definitely a, 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 the bending the wings up you know, at a 60-degree angle makes re-entry a safer experience. And then I think a gliding to a landing with wings is you know, a very gentle way to come back to, to planet Earth. So um, I'm reasonably optimistic. I mean, you have to be an optimist in the... Uh, space business but um but you know i'm gonna fly it my wife's gonna fly on it mike moses our president for virgin galactic his wife just flew on it you know and we have uh you know a lot of people are gonna fly in the system that are in this building you know and, or that that know people you know we know and so we all take that responsibility as a sacred trust you know we're working as hard as we can to to, to create a safe safe experience and so how many more test flights before Assuming that those, those all go well, how many more test flights before the first actual commercial flight? Well, I'm not going to give you a number because, you know, basically what we do is we look at the results of each test and then we plan out what we need to do in our next test and we go from there. But it's not a huge number. You know, it's, it's not a huge number. We're, we're truly on the home stretch and uh, we've come really far. The February flight was hugely important. I mean, so was the December flight, but the February flight, December flight, we flew to space for the first time. The February flight, we flew with a passenger for the first time. The reason why the second one was so important was that, you know, we really validated the interior customer experience. You know, Beth was able to get out of her seat, move around the cabin. She got in and out of her seat with no problem twice. The windows worked great. It was super stable. You know, it was just a 
amazing experience, you know, and that's what we want, you know. I mean, I don't know if you saw, there's a great picture of her looking out the window, like the first time she saw the planet from Earth, from space. It's what you want, you know. She's like, holy, I don't know if I can swear on you your, your swear away. podcast, yeah, but, you, you know, holy cow. That was, uh, that is. I don't think she said holy that, cow. No, but. she didn't, actually, she didn't say anything. She was just like <laughs> blown away. And, uh, and that was that was awesome. That was what we have all been working for. And, and Beth has been a great sort of evangelist for, you know, the reality of that experience. You know, we've been flying test pilots basically who are wonderful people and they are sort of, they're test pilots, right? And Beth's not a test pilot. She's, you know, she's very emotive. And, and, uh, so that's been wonderful to be able to share the reality of that from the perspective of somebody who isn't a test pilot. Yeah. Test pilots are a bit, battle-hardened stoic yeah which is what you want in test pilot absolutely that's what you want and then just lastly in terms of that mindset shift you talked about at nasa are there concrete things that you can point to whether it's i don't know saying for example if you find stuff on the moon it's yours or the kind of you know if you find it i don't know what the rule would be but it does feel like that some of the kind of they've set up incentive structures that have allowed people to be like and I'm actually really going to go try to go to the moon because now there's a big prize there. Yeah, and that's what I mean about like Shackleton or something like, I mean, Shackleton Crater, that is to say, on, on the moon. I've never yeah. heard of Shackleton Crater till right now. So Shackleton but. Crater is, um, it's, it's on the pole. Mm-hmm. It's potentially permanently lit at the rim. And then inside the crater, it's potentially permanently in shadow. Okay. And the reason why that's an interesting place to be in the solar system is that it provides continuous power through solar energy and potentially a place where you could have deposits of frozen ice in, in the shadow in the shadow of the crater. And so you could imagine a place where you're, you know, you're getting power from the sun and then you're mining water. Because water is the gold up there, right? Water or can be used oil. for, uh, you know, rocket fuel. Most of all, you can make rocket fuel out of it. You can also do things with fuel cells and other stuff. But think of it as like the the energy, you know. And so that's a really interesting place on the mm. on the on the solar system. And so what everybody's trying to figure out is, you know, what are the right economic models for the expansion of humanity into space? And we've taken the bet that actually. In terms of new markets, human people is actually the next big thing. Moving people up into space and then eventually moving people across the planet to another part, another part of the planet is actually the next, I think, big thing in terms of a market. The first market was, of course, like telecom. And then the next one was, uh, t- and I mean that in a broad sense, like yeah. TV, phone, yeah. data. Next one was navigation, you know, like GPS. GPS. And, and I personally think the next one will be will be people. But the idea of, you know, both water ice and also potentially certain minerals, platinum group metals, et cetera, is an exciting future because, you know, those are essentially can be found in infinite quantities in the solar system. I mean, it's not actually infinite, but from the perspective of where humanity is right now, it's functionally infinite. And so that's a great big open vision for for humanity that, that we are not constrained out there. And so... So to your question, I mean, we're going to have to figure out property rights and we're going to have to figure out how all that stuff meshes together internationally. And my guess is we'll have some of the same challenges that we've had on the planet 
but I hope we do it in a, you know, a way that takes some lessons from the mistakes that we've made in the past. You're not speaking conditionally. You're not saying, I hope we would. You're saying, I hope we will. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's inevitable, right? I mean, we are going out into space. There's no question. You know, I like to say that, you know, it took Homo sapiens about 200,000 years, 150,000 years to go around planet Earth. You know, like from Africa out was about 150, 200,000 years. You can quibble around the time frames. Maybe it was 100,000, maybe it was 300,000. Anyway, that order of magnitude. What, you to know, effectively circum... Yeah, I mean, like, we sort of, sort of, like, you know, you've had a series of prominent species, but, yeah. like, you know, Homo sapiens did it in yeah. order of magnitude 200,000 years, plus or minus 100,000 yeah. years. You know, like, we're on the edge of our next big journey. Where will we be in another 200,000 years? I hope across the galaxy. You know, and literally, we are about as basic right now when it comes to spaceflight as we were trudging around the sub-Saharan desert. We can't imagine the technologies that we'll event, invent, and we can't imagine the energy and the information and all the things that we'll come up with and the ethics and the you know, ways of treating each other, treating other living beings. Well, that was one of the interesting things. I talked to a physicist who's, he actually runs Planet, Will Marshall. I don't know if you know him. He's one of my best friends. Okay. And he was talking about using the moon as a way to kind of as a kind of, not necessarily a restart, but as a way to kind of try different ways of human organization. Yeah, yeah. As like a lab for like, all right, let's try some different things. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's pretty hard to change systems once they're sort of set up and running. People get attached. Even when you're really conscious about, no, really, we want you to be able to change the system. Future generations. Yeah. Those future generations, you know, they get attached to their system. So... There are a lot of great things that we'll be able to try. Humans should always be iterating in terms of how to organize themselves, how to treat each other. We didn't figure it all out a thousand years ago, 500 years ago. Today. 300 years ago, today. You know? Will's very um, eloquent about those kinds of things. Would you want to settle on another planet? Or a moon? Uh, I'd be open toward, to it towards the end of my life. We've got an amazing planet, and I haven't explored, like, the tiniest fraction of it yet because I've been working on this program here, stuck in a hangar in Mojave. So I really want to, like, explore our planet. As many people say, we have the best planet. I would do it maybe at the end of my life, you know, if it was sort of a contribution to the future, and I think that would be exciting and amazing. But uh, there's a, for me personally, you know, I just like to explore planet Earth and be around my kids for a while to come. Yeah. Maybe check out the Amalfi Coast. Totally. I hear it's amazing. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank George for taking the time to sit down and talk with me about all things space. And thank you for listening. And also thank you for giving a rating and review for this very podcast so other people can find it. Um, I know you've done it, but if you haven't, take a moment do it i will be back next week in the meantime i'll be writing about i think i'm actually writing about tesla this week in the newspaper so if you're interested in all things tesla do uh, pick up the paper this weekend you can also find me online at times.co.uk i'm on twitter at danny fortson or you can email me questions concerns suggestions whatever danny.fortson at sunday times.co.uk 
I hope you have a fabulous weekend, and we'll see you next week. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.